you're finding your seat, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible, and you can take that out, and uh, you can begin turning to the Psalms. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. I would love for you to have God's Word in your lap in front of you uh, this morning. Uh, if you don't know where the Psalms are, um, the trick is you just kind of open to the middle, and you should hit somewhere in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning. Um, as you're turning there, uh, maybe some of you have gone downtown and you've uh, seen some of the extra activity that's been happening this week. If you're not aware, or maybe you haven't been downtown, uh, Madison is the host for the CrossFit Games. Um, it is uh, sort of an international event. There are competitors from all over the world, and people travel from all over the world to come and, and watch it. And um, different than a lot of other sports, you know, sometimes uh, I don't think that there's a lot of sports where the spectators really resemble or sort of look like the competitors. Um, football being a great example, right? Um, that's all that needs to be said about that. Uh, but CrossFit is one of those where uh, the, the, the spectators are um, extremely fit themselves. And so um, it's a good way to just be intimidated if you want to just hang out with some CrossFit folks. Um, uh, you know, we were downtown. So we have um, my um, in-laws, Bree's parents are, are in town. And uh, like any good family that lives in Madison, when you have family in town, you take them to the farmer's market, right? And so we went down and we're, we're hanging out. And there's just like all these super fit people all over the place. And um, they're getting what I would say is a little taste of Madison, right? So they're down there. They're experiencing the capital and the, the farmer's market and going to the lake and, and seeing all of that. But, but those of you that, that have been around here for a while or any length of time and know the city know that they're just seeing just a sliver of this cool city that we um, live in and call home. There's a lot more to that, that, that there is to offer. There's some really um, uh, just great places. We, my family, we love, um, we love just the area and, and some of the things to do around here. And I think, you know, I say that to just say that, yeah, the way that we interact with the place has a lot to do with our proximity, our time, and the intentionality with which we um, interact with it. And so those that are here this week will get a little taste, but they don't really know the city well. I would kind of liken it to some of you have driven through or driven past Chicago. Um, maybe some of you have spent more time in Chicago than you intended or wanted to because you got caught you know, on the interstate trying to get through and you didn't quite time it right with the traffic and, and you hit the, um, the, the just so fun traffic that it is. Others of you will go way out of your way to not get anywhere close and you'll, you'll, go, you'll add hours just to go around and, um, and save having to drive through. But some of you, that's basically the extent of the amount that you've interacted with the city of Chicago. I uh, grew up near Chicago, used to live near Chicago, and we would make occasional day trips down there. So as a kid, I went to um, like Navy Pier, went to some Sox games and, and Cubs games, and, and would go downtown. And, and so I kind of got to experience and knew the city just a little bit. But then in college, I moved downtown, attended school there, and for almost four and a half years lived there, and I really got to know the city in a different way. Um, we didn't, like, I don't know if we were just a, um, I, we thought it was fun at the time, but what we would do is just go out and just explore the city for fun. Um, we used to have this thing where we'd go and try and get lost. It was before GPS when you could actually do that, you know, so we would just kind of go down, find streets that we had never been on before, and I never told my mom that I was doing this because we would just kind of wander all over the city. But after a while, it became harder and harder to get lost in the city because we kind of knew where we were and we had been there. And so there was all these little cool things that we found all over the city, and it had to do with the time that we spent there. And so if your experience is only driving through Chicago, my experience with it is very different because I know it, I've lived there, I've experienced that. Why do I share all that? 
Well, I say that to just sort of set up what we're looking at this morning. Many of us, I believe, have driven by or kind of driven through Psalm 23. We are acquainted with it. We're sort of familiar with it. We've heard it recited. Uh, we've maybe read it on the wall of our grandparents' house, you know, if it was like cross-stitched or something like that. Um, we've seen it maybe on, on a picture or sort of we even maybe have it displayed somewhere in our home. But some of us, that's the extent of which, which we have interacted with this psalm. It's been merely a sort of drive-by kind of experience. And we haven't spent any time, uh, we haven't gotten close to it, and we haven't been very intentional exploring the truth that is contained in this well that I would call Psalm 23. And what we're, gonna, what we're seeking to do in this series is just to take a very slow, uh, kind of lengthy look at this important psalm. And the reason we're doing that and why we're taking this time is because um, I think several of you can probably relate to uh, the way I was feeling as, as we were kind of approaching the end of summer. I was returning from um, a time of, of, of study and kind of a change of pace and found myself a lot more weary and sort of worn down than A, I wanted to admit, or B, that I thought I should feel. But as I began to share that with people and say, hey, I'm kind of feeling like really tired or sort of uh, spent. And um, I'm just wondering how much this last couple of years has really kind of taken its toll on me. Um, and uh, as I began to sort of share that, I heard uh, back that many other people are, are feeling the same way. In fact, many of you last week uh, came up afterwards and you're like, hey, this is very timely. I'm feeling the, um, I'm definitely feeling that. I'm, I'm feeling weary. I'm feeling sort of um, just still kind of exhausted. And I don't want to talk about it or think about it. I just want things to kind of get back to normal, right? Um, when is everything going to get back to normal? And I think the reality is this, is that things aren't just going to return. It's not just merely time. The other thing that I'm worried about is that we look to the wrong things. We think that a weekend in Door County or a day um, uh, you know, at the, uh, on the lake or, or a different Netflix series or whatever is going to refresh, restore, refill our souls and what we're finding is we're, 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 we're distracted, but we're not refreshed. And what we're looking for, what I want to see for us as we do finish out these final weeks of summer, head into the fall, is that we're finding the rest for, the, for our souls that we're really looking for. And I believe what God has kind of reminded me of and, and encouraged me with over these last several weeks is that that is found in our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the only place that we're going to find it. Amen. And so why we're looking at Psalm 23 is it's a reminder of who... Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, is in the way that he is leading us into the rest that we are looking for. And so we want to take not a drive-by look, but a slow, intentional, methodical look. And so we're just kind of walking through each verse over these several weeks together. And so we began last week, and we, we started by all standing and reading it together. This morning, I want to read it over you and have you just listen and hear the words of the Lord uh, from this psalm. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray as we get into God's word together. 
Lord, we thank you for the truth that's contained here in this psalm. Uh, God, this uh, simple um, yet profound uh, writing from the life and from the words of, of, of King David. Lord, we are encouraged um, in who you are. And so, God, as we uh, try to mine the depths of this psalm over the next several weeks um, and, and this morning, God, would you uh, teach us? God, would you lead us? Uh, would you show us more and more of who you are? God, remind us of, of this truth uh, that you are our good shepherd. God, would we see you as such? We pray that your spirit would teach us now as we look at your word together. Uh, God, we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so what we did last week is we began with verse one and we saw this picture that the Lord is my shepherd. And we said that the Lord, as our shepherd, his voice is speaking, he's leading us into some places. And so what we're gonna see is some of the places that he's leading us. We're calling the uh, sermon this morning Still Waters because this is one of the places that he is leading us uh, both to and beside. And so what we're gonna see this morning is this. I, I believe that the way that God is leading, we're gonna see four pictures of his leading and the way that the good shepherd is leading our souls to the rest that it needs. Uh, let me give you the first picture. We're gonna see it all kind of from um, verse two and a little bit of the first part of verse three. But it's this, is that his leading is a picture of pilgrimage. His leading is a picture of pilgrimage. Now, this is a word that we don't often throw around um, too much. We don't think of our lives, or, or maybe you don't, um, of your life as pilgrimage. I'm, I would advocate, I would say that this psalm is a reminder that our lives, in some sense, are a bit of a pilgrimage. What's a pilgrimage? It's, it's you know, a journey intentionally made from one place to another, right, to get to a kind of destination and, and sort of the, uh, the path that you take, and, and it's got some intentionality to it. Well, God's people, I believe, knew very well this, this idea of what a pilgrimage is because they had always been sort of following the Lord to the places that he had led them. And notice the language here. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What are all these words? What are all these pictures? It's about a journey. It's about movement. It's about um, progress that's being made. And so here what we see is his leading is a picture of pilgrimage. Let's just be reminded this morning of how God's people knew their life as pilgrimage. If you remember, uh, when God first called a special people to himself, he did it through one man. It was Abraham. And he visited Abraham in the land that he had been born in, and he called him to a new place. And he said he wanted him to leave that place. Now, you and I, we, we come across that, and that doesn't seem that odd. We're like, yeah, lots of people uproot, move, go to a new place, new, new spot. Um, he was from Ur, and uh, they were calling, he was being called by the Lord out of Ur. And uh, that was, you have to understand, kind of a revolutionary concept. See, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Um, how many of you, um, show of hands, uh, were like born and raised here in the Madison area? So like kind of Dane County, how many of you are from Madison, grew up here, whatever? Hold them high, be proud, yeah. Okay, so a few, like, you know, significantly less than half. In the first service, there was one, um, your brother. So it was, uh, it was uh, Ben Ducharme was the only one in the entire first service. Now, 
Admittedly, there was decidedly less people in that first service. Now, I knew that was gonna happen. We had some few people, all right, 30 faithfuls that were few that were still on vacation. It's the first, first time back with two services. Some of you are like, oh, this 10, 10, 15 thing is kind of nice. And, and then it was raining this morning on top of it. So I knew there was gonna be less people in that 8.30. All that to say, little plug, if you um, don't care which time you come, come to 8.30 because there's more seats uh, there and it would be great to uh, kind of encourage those faithful, uh, faithful ones there and as we see people returning. But the reality is, is most of you, most of you in this room, some of you are, but most of you are not from this place. You have moved here at some point in time. Uh, and, and so that's pretty common for us. It's not uncommon to uh, move to and kind of live in a place that you weren't born or weren't raised in. That was not the case at the time of Abraham. When God visited him, like his dad was from there, his grandpa was from there, his, the generations had grown up there. You just kind of lived and existed in the place that you were born. The thought of kind of uprooting and going to a new spot or sort of setting out onto a, a new adventure or moving to a warmer climate or something like that, like that just wasn't a concept that really existed. And so God visited Abraham and he says, I want to lead you to a new place. I want to call you to a new land. And there's this promised land that I'm going to give, not just to you, but to your your family, to the generations that come after you. And what we see is that promise was repeated to his son and to his grandson, to Isaac and to Jacob. And eventually that promise was given and repeated to the whole people of Israel, all of Jacob's descendants. You see, they ended up in captivity in Egypt. Some of you know this. They were in captivity in Egypt and God, through a series of miracles, led them out of captivity and took them to the land that he had promised to his people. And there was this journey that was happening. Now, they made some foolish choices along the way and extended the route. So they had to like, wander for a while, almost 40 years, right, that they were in the wilderness wandering around before God led them finally to the place that he had been leading them to. Why is this important? Why are we talking about this with Psalm 23? Here's the idea. I think, I think, I think we're missing something if we forget this concept or sort of this picture of pilgrimage with the Lord this kind of moving from one place to another. Here's a very simple truth that I think is gonna be encouraging to you this morning. It's this, is that we are not home yet. Do you know that? We are not home yet. This world, this place, this city, this county, this state, this is not our home. We have another home and we are going there someday. And I think things change when you understand that. You see, the psalm ends with this statement. It says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You are know that you are home when you are with the Lord in his presence, in his glory, when you see him in that light, in the way that you've never seen before, when you are in relationship in the way that, like that's the way that all of us were intended to live, is in relationship with our creator, with our God. And so we are on this journey trying, waiting to be with the Lord in the way that we were intended. Sin entered, broke that. God made a way through his son Jesus and all of us are invited to receive that gift of a restored relationship through the power and work of Jesus Christ. And so if you feel like you're not home or, or you're not able to rest or, or you're kind of on this journey, it's because you are. This is not your home. And I think if we can just kind of Play that out a little further. Things change when you understand this concept. When Bree and I moved to 
Madison. We had to get a house quickly. It was five years ago that we moved here. Um, we were moving here to plant the church, and, and, and the market was not as crazy as it is now, but it was still pretty crazy. And so we had looked and looked and looked for weeks and months, and we're not able to find a house, and we were running out of time. The place we were living, we had to get out of. Um, and so we were driving up. We were supposed to drive up early in the week. Our car broke, uh, so we had to get that in the shop. It was fixed, so we came up later than we intended. We're on our way up here. We're looking at the list of homes that we were supposed to see, and we're like, I don't think any of these are going to work. Some of them we knew weren't going to work because we couldn't afford them. Others of them, like, we're just like, I just don't think this is going to, like, work out for our family. It's not kind of in the place. Like, we're just trying to find a home. And then as we're driving up, a house came on the market, and we called the realtor, and we're like, we think this is the one. Can you show it to us today? He's like, yeah, let's get it in there. So we placed an offer that night, placed another offer the next day, you know, trying to compete with our own offer, um, is that's what, what you do these days, and um, just bidding against ourselves. And so, um, and then we ended up getting the house. But here's the thing, we were thrilled about this house, but we knew it had a shelf life to it. Um, we, it did not have enough room for our growing family. We found out shortly after uh, that Brie was pregnant, um, uh, again, with um, not another daughter, but with a son. And so that kind of threw a kink in it. We have four girls, plus him. Um, and so uh, the bedroom situation, you know, as he got older, the, uh, we had to kind of figure out something for, for that. And so all the while, we knew that this was not going to be our home long term. I say that to just say that, that because we knew that, it changed the way that we interacted with our house. We kind of did the bare minimum to make it feel like home. We certainly kind of organized and kind of put things where they needed to go, but we didn't hang a ton of pictures on the wall. Uh, we didn't do a ton of like long-term projects. We sort of always had this sense that we're gonna move at some point. Now, we just moved into a different home, and this is the home that we want to um, see all of the kids like graduate from. Our hope is that Levi graduates out of this home, that we don't want to like, go for the next two decades. Some of you can relate. You're like, if you've, ever, if you've moved recently, you're like, I don't want to do that again, all right? So we don't want to do that again. And, and it shows already, we've only been in there a couple months, but already we're like doing things that, that, that we didn't do in the other homes. We're like, well, if we're going to be here for two decades, let's do this now. And let's kind of get this done now. And we're getting rid of stuff. We have like a next home box that we've sort of hauled around for the last two or three homes. We're like, well, maybe we'll need it there. Or maybe we'll need it there. We're kind of getting rid of all that. We're like, well, we don't need it in any of our homes. Why are we carrying this thing? Why do we make all those faithful people from City on a Hill uh, move that stuff for us. And so um, we're, we're, we're getting rid of and kind of purging and, and all of that. Why? Because we know this is going to be our home. You live in it different when you know it's going to be the place. And here's the reality. Here's why this is so good. His leading is a picture of pilgrimage. We are not home yet. He is leading us places. And so problems arise when we view this world as our final destination. When we view this world as home, that is where trouble begins for us because you do it different. You sort of set up shop. You kind of have long-term plans here. And the reality is we are just passing through. And so we need to live as such. We need to follow as such. We are following God somewhere and we are moving through this time. So that first, I think we just begin there. His leading is a picture of pilgrimage. Second, his leading is a picture of his presence. It's a picture of presence. Notice what it says there in verse two. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I think that we need to have a good understanding of his leading, of how he leads us, how he leads us. Let me say it this way. Um, he is with us in the leading. He's right alongside us in the leading. Imagine uh, that I had um, somewhere I wanted you to go 
and uh, you know, there's a destination, say it's on the other side of town, and um, I kind of tell you where it is, and there's something great when you get there. Uh, there's gonna be um, a prize, a kind of reward for, for finding it and for, for getting it. A lot of times people, or I would say we, we think of God's leading in this way, that he tells us where he wants us to go, and then what he does is he hands us this. Um, some of you have no idea, because um, you've never used one of these. This is a compass. It kind of points to which way north is. Um, and then there's this thing, um, really cool, kind of old school. It's a paper map. And, um, and it actually has like roads and geographical map markers and everything. It's actually kind of Fitchburg and Madison. So, so say that I had something for you and you didn't maybe know this city as well as you did. And I just handed you this map and this compass and said, hey, go figure it out. Um, try, and, try and get there. Um, that's a very, like some of you, you're, there's no way like you're gonna get there. Um, and uh, you, you have a hard enough time following Siri, let alone like the map and, and the, uh, the compass. But, but, but there's a very different sense when I'm like, hey, here's, what, here's where you need to go. Here's, what, here's the tools that you have. Now figure it out. Some of us, this is the picture we have of God's leading. We think that he's handed us a map and a compass and that he'll just meet us at the finish line. He'll see us when we're there. But that's not the picture that we get in the scriptures. That's not the picture that we see in Psalm 23. How different would it be if, say, I have somewhere I want you to go, somewhere that I'm, 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 I have a, there's something for you. When you get there, I'm gonna show you how to get there. We're gonna go there together. I've been there many times before. I know the way. I know the best routes to take. I know the stops along the way. Why don't you come with me and we're gonna go together? All of a sudden, all the intrepidation, all the fear, all the anxiety just went away because you know you're with someone who knows where you're going. The reality is this, is that the good shepherd, the way that he's leading us is not with a map and a compass. He is with us. He's beside us. He's leading by his voice. How does it work to lead by your voice? Well, you've got to be in proximity with the person. And so he's there and he's leading us to the places that he would have us go. I think this is so important that we remember that God is not far off. He is not distant. He is present with us in what we are walking through right now. And I know, I know for some of us, it's easy to look at the circumstances, look at the situation that we find ourselves in and we say, God, how could you be in this? How could you be here? But notice, we're gonna get to this in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are what? With me. You're with me. God is not far off. He is there beside us. And so his leading is a picture of presence. We need to remember this as we follow where he is leading us and the way he is leading us, remembering that he is with us in that. Number three, the third picture that we see, his leading is a picture of purpose, of purpose. There is intentionality behind and with the path that he has us on. Notice what it says here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Everywhere else it says leads, right? He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But here it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. One thing that we have to remember is that God is a God of intentionality. He's a God of purpose. He never wastes a difficult season. He never wastes an opportunity in our life. There is purpose in that. And so sometimes there is a strong encouragement that God brings into our life to make us rest and lie down in the green pastures that he leads us to. Now here's the, um, 
Here's the picture that I think is gonna help us to really understand this. See, so many of us, when we read green pastures, we think, well, that's not hard, right? Because we live in Wisconsin and there are green pastures everywhere, especially right now. After the rain, everything kind of turns green again and it's like, it is so green. Well, my um, uh, father-in-law got off the plane um, the other day and he said, man, it is so good to see green again. They're coming and visiting us from Dallas, Texas. He said they left, they took off and looked down and see a sea of brown. And it's just like everything is brown, everything's dead, everything's sort of scorched and, and um, you know, that's, it's been a hot, hot summer uh, down there. Well, as they get further north and then get to Wisconsin, everything begins to kind of green up and then you get here and it's green. So here's the thing that I think we need to remember is that this was written to a people in time. And so David, as he's penning these words and doing it, he's picturing the terrain around them. And the terrain around them is a lot less Wisconsin and a lot more like uh, Dallas. It was a dry, rocky, uh, sort of arid climate. And so green pastures were not in abundance. They were in specific places and they were often actually very seasonal. There were certain times that certain places would green up and sort of have these green pastures. Why is that important? Well, the shepherd, as he would lead his sheep, this is the picture that David is using, as he would lead his sheep, he's leading them through these places of wilderness and dry and rocky ground. And then they arrive and get to the place where there is green pasture. And it was so common for shepherds, what they would do upon arriving in that green pasture is it was, it was very typical in the kind of middle part of the day. I think it was from like noon to three or something. They would allow the sheep to kind of roam and, and, and to rest and to uh, just refresh. And, and there wasn't a destination. There wasn't any sort of journey. He just allowed them to, to, to get the, the, the rest that they needed as a part of that journey. See, here's the thing that I think our Lord is very intentional. Our good shepherd, Jesus, is very intentional in taking us. He's leading us out of these times of wilderness and into green pastures. Notice we don't live in the green pastures. We're not always in the green pastures. I think similarly, they are few and far between, but they are there. And there's many of them. It's not like once and then done, you know, next rest stop in like 250 miles kind of thing. It's like, no, he, he knows when and how often we need it, but there's purpose in it. He's purposely leading us into these green pastures and he's purposely leading us beside still waters. Still waters, that's not just a, uh, the word there for still is not just a word talking about the, the current and the strength of the waters, although it certainly does indicate that, but it also was a word that indicates rest. You could say he leads us beside restful waters. You see, sheep were perfectly capable of navigating some pretty strong currents. Uh, they could still uh, get the water that they needed um, if the water was moving, but it's a whole lot easier and a whole lot more restful if that water was still. I think so many times, again, we forget that the Lord does not just lead us to and in, in, in these periods of wilderness and by rushing waters, but there is times that he leads us into green pastures and to restful, still waters. And he's very purposeful in when and how he's doing it. Why? Why does he do it? Well, that's what verse three says. He restores our soul. He's doing it to restore my soul. He's doing it to restore your soul. And I think part of what we need to do and understand in these pictures of green pastures and still waters is oftentimes what we think of us sort of kicking our feet up and then inactivity. That's what rest is. But I think the biblical picture of rest is so much more than inactivity. It's not just when the projects and the progress stops. Rather, rest is a handing over to the Lord of the projects and the progress. 
As we rest, we recognize something about God, that he is still at work. Some of you have like, realized this phenomenon, that your workplace doesn't revolve just around you. Or maybe you did realize that it kind of does just revolve around you, and as you left, nothing else happened. But, but hopefully, hopefully, you're in a healthy environment. When you leave, that like, the business keeps going, the world keeps spinning, right? Things keep happening, and you're like, oh, it's not all on me. It's really refreshing, really healthy and helpful to kind of step back from it and see that there's still things kind of happening without you. See, every night we get a reminder as we put our head on the pillow that we need to recharge the battery, right? We cannot keep going. Some of you, 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours, you might have that in you, but at some point you're gonna hit a wall where your body physically cannot keep going. We are reminded every single day of our frailty. And God and his sovereignty hardwired in that reminder to us that we have to stop and we have to rest. But here's the reality is this, is that God, as we sleep, never does. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he never lays his head down on a pillow. He never shuts off the light. He is always, always present, always handling, always working. And rest is a handing over to the Lord. It's a releasing of the striving and of the straining. And I think what God was doing for his people as he gave those Israelites and bring them into the promised land, he gave them this rhythm of, of this, not just daily rest, but weekly rest, right? There was this day that he called the Sabbath. And he said, you shall keep the Sabbath holy because it was the day on which the Lord rested. God himself rested after creation. The sixth day, he said, is very good. The seventh day, he rested and it was a different type of rest, right? It was a rest that understood that the work was done. There's a very different rest than when you're kind of taking a five-minute break or at the end of the day when the project is all wrapped up, everything's cleaned up, everything's buttoned up, and you get to just stop. Why? Because it's done. That's the kind of rest that I think he's saying. And here's the reality is with the Lord, the Lord does not function in space and time. Everything is already fulfilled and completed in Christ. Right, so we're in this kind of already, not yet. God's work is accomplished, it is finished. And so we can rest knowing that he is going to work things out. And so when we stop, it's not just an activity, rather it's a recharging for the activity and it's a giving over to him of that straining, of that striving. Let me kind of give you a practical example of what this looks like. Um, years ago, I was leading a mission trip uh, with a bunch of students down to, uh, we were in the Baja Peninsula of um, Mexico, and uh, we were outside of the city of La Paz. We were working at this drug rehab clinic. We were going to this um, kind of really, really um, uh, poor neighborhood and, and um, uh, doing a kids, uh, kind of a kids VBS thing. And I had a couple dozen high school students that, that took on this trip. And um, the, the church that I was at, kind of the area I was on, these, these students were, um, I would just say, very privileged. They, they grew up with not a lot of things that they didn't have access to. Um, it was kind of a wealthier area. And, um, and so with that, I would say it this way, as kindly as I can, God was still doing a lot of things in these students' lives. And uh, partway through the trip, I was beyond frustrated at some of these students because they just had never seen or never known any of these things that they're, I mean, it's so good for them, right? But I mean, one example is uh, there was, um, I forget if it was one of the guys or girls or whatever, but we were cleaning up after um, kitchen. I said, hey, can you grab that? Uh, after eating, we're cleaning the kitchen. I said, hey, can you grab that broom and sweep? And they looked at me dead serious. They're like, I've never swept before. I was like, you're kidding, right? You're 16 years old. You've never swept? 
Like I've never swept. I'm like, well, that changes right now. Okay, let me show you how this works. It's like a really simple concept. There's stuff on the floor. We don't want it on the floor. So we're going to use this thing to kind of gather it together. Then we're going to use this thing to kind of sweep it into, and then we're going to throw it in the trash pan. You got that? Okay. So like they like swept. I'm like, how's it going? They're like, oh, it's good. Yeah. And it's like, well, go home. Show your mom. Like you can sweep. Okay. <laughs> the reality is, if I'm, if I'm being honest, go show your maid. Like there's, there's somebody that was cleaning for them. Okay. That's why they had never, never swept before. Um, and so, but partway through, I was just like so frustrated with these students. I'm like, God, I don't know like if they're getting any of it. Like they're still selfish. They're still not seeing. They're like, and I was just like so beside myself um, because I wanted so badly for them to understand all these things that I think God was trying to teach them through this, through this opportunity and just to see their own, um, just the privilege that they had and the needs around them and that, you know, just all this. And I was just kind of at my end and I was like to the point that I'm like, Lord, I don't know if all these kids are gonna make it home. I might intentionally leave some of them behind. Um, and that's not good. So I need something else. And so what, what I ended up doing one night, I remember we were sleeping on concrete. That was not helpful either. Um, but we were sleeping on the concrete. I'm going to bed and I remember just kind of making the intentional decision. I, I remember kind of praying this prayer, something like, God, I'm gonna give this all to you. I recognize that I can't fix the things in these kids that they need to be fixed. And so can you do that? And tomorrow I'm just gonna rest and trust in your constant working and the way that only you can kind of work in their hearts. And I'm gonna tell you, I woke up that next morning with a totally different attitude, totally different perspective on it. Because what I saw was I saw all the ways that God was using the difficulty that we were walking through with intentional purpose. And so here in that place, I woke up and I was much more, I think, pleasant to be around because I wasn't stressing, I wasn't striving, I wasn't trying to kind of make it happen. I was trusting that God was actually gonna work out his purposes in the hearts of these students. And so as fires began to sort of, you know, kind of come up and, and different attitudes were starting to flare or things like that, I'm just like, you know what, Lord, I'm just gonna trust you. And I'm gonna tell you, my own heart was just extremely, extremely more calm in all of that because I had intentionally handed it over to the Lord and trusted that he was going to do that. And the reality is this though, listen, is that as we rest, we have the ability to give that to the Lord and he has the ability to do far more than we ever could. The reality is I'm not changing any of these kids' hearts. Like God might use me or some of the words or whatever the team that we had to, to kind of do some things. But at the end of the day, like I'm not the one who's actually changing their hearts. The spirit's gonna have to do that. God's gonna have to do that. And so it was a releasing, kind of a letting go and being like, God, I want to be used in whatever way you have, but I recognize that there's a limited amount of effort that I can actually, or change that I can actually exert here. And so I'm going to give it over to you. I just wonder, you know, what is in your life right now? What, where are you striving? Where are you straining? Where are you trying so hard? And God's sitting there, listen, and he's saying, I am thankful for the effort but at some point you need to rest and you need to give that to me and trust that I can do what you can't do and I can accomplish that. Again, rest is not inactivity. Rest is a handing over to the good shepherd who has the ability to actually work. See, sometimes he makes us lie down in green pastures. He lovingly creates that environment and encourages us to do so because we're not doing it on our own. He's a good shepherd and he's intentional in the way that he's doing that. The last picture, we'll end with this, is that he's leading us in, uh, his leading is a picture of peace. The psalmist was really intentional. David was really intentional here with these pictures that he picked, these green pastures, still waters. They're meant to communicate peace. 
and a picture of, of, of calmness and security and refreshment. I also think that they're plural for a reason. It's not green pasture and still water. He's leading us beside still waters. There's this availability, right? This constant availability that as he's leading us, it's not like those still waters are far off. It's like he leads us beside them when we need them. They're there and available to us. And he's leading us to these pastures as we need it along the journey that we are on. And it's for us a picture of peace. What he's ultimately trying to do is to restore our soul. I said before, the places that we try and go, the things that we look to to get the restoration that our soul needs often don't deliver, right? They only distract, they do not restore. The good shepherd has the ability to restore our souls in the way that we do that. So let's get really practical for a second. How do we then enter into his rest? If this is a picture of peace, if there's this picture of um, restoration for our souls that's happening, how do we do it? Well, I think it begins with a very intentional attitude in our heart of handing over our striving and the straining that we're doing. It's through prayer, it's through an attitude of trust and believing that God is who he says he is and able to work in the way that he said he would. And so that's part of it. It's not just a handing over, but it's a believing in his promises of working and presence in the situations of our life. You see, because his promise is this. We looked at John 10 last week. We'll look at it again. John 10, 10, and 11 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The good shepherd came that those that follow him would have life and life abundantly. Therefore, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That is how he gave us the life that we need is through his laying down, the laying down of his life. But here's the, re the reality is this, is that there's only one way into this rest and it is through and by the person and presence and power of Jesus Christ. Because the verse right before that, many of us know verse 10, which says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But immediately before that, verse nine says, I am, what? The door. There's kind of two metaphors going on here. Not, as, not only is Jesus the shepherd, but he's also the door. And he says, I am the door. If anyone enters me, enters by me rather, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. He is the way that we access this. And so again, can I just reiterate that the, the things that we're looking to are not going to, to uh, satisfy and to uh, feed the soul the way that our Savior Jesus Christ is. We find this rest by entering into that abiding relationship and re remaining in that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd. He says, remain in me, I will remain in you. There is this, this relationship that we are able to have with the Lord. And so it is in this union. How do we enter into his rest? By handing over the striving, believing in his promises, and enjoying the abiding union that we have in Jesus Christ. That is where true rest is found. How encouraging is that? It's present, it's available. There is peace that is available. So we're gonna get to this. I mean, there's parts of the journey that are not easy, right? He leads us 
into that valley of the shadow of death. We're gonna talk about that. But the reality is, is that in all of this, there's still this picture of peace, the places that he's leading us to. And so my encouragement would be this. This is maybe one of the uh, most encouraging uh, sermon applications that you could have, but, but to go from here, if we would be intentional this week and to rest in our Savior, Jesus Christ. For some of us, that means we're gonna like take a nap, maybe. <laughs> just kind of stop, because we don't ever stop. And we're gonna just acknowledge that, that, that we don't have all the energy to do everything that we need to do, and sometimes we just need to sort of stop and rest. It's okay, Others of us, maybe we need to just go for a walk and be in God's creation and enjoy and experience him and the things that he's made and see his hand around us. We need to maybe enjoy some of the gifts and the, the relationships. And the, I mean, just to stop the inactivity and to, or stop the activity and to try to change gears a little bit and to just be with him. And some of that should definitely be and part of taking scripture and hearing from him and just dwelling on his word, and dwelling in his spirit, and hearing from him. But can I just encourage you that when we stop, when we rest, when we really look to Christ to fill and restore our soul, he does. It's very different, very different when we rest in the Lord than just kind of rest on our own. And this is the picture that we have. He's a good shepherd. He's leading us on this pilgrimage. It's a picture of his presence and purposes for our life. And it is a place that ultimately is going to take us to that restoration, to the peace that we are looking for, the security that's found in him. Let's look to our good shepherd as only he can uh, deliver that which we are looking for. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. God, you are leading us on the right paths, God, to the right places, to these green pastures and beside still waters. And so, Lord, we desire to follow you. God, thank you for your present voice. God, your, your presence in the leading. Lord, you are with us even now. And so we're reminded of that truth this morning. And I pray that you would refresh and encourage our hearts this morning. God, so many times we are weary. But, Lord, you never tire God, you always have enough. And so, Lord, we trust you in that. God, thank you for this picture that you've given us, this reminder of your power and your presence. We look to you now and we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.